Your Honor, it was the Kraken. Your Honor, Your Honor, it was a giant squid. I'm sorry. They're like, uh, Mr. Danner, please just pay the parking tickets. You don't understand. <laughs> the Dangrachu was in on it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unbelievable, the podcast where I tell my friend Luis one true story and one fake story. And I try to figure out which one's which. Luis and I were roommates. We still are friends. We do all kinds of shenanigans together, so we know each other pretty well. It takes a lot for one of us to fool another. But as Luis showed last episode, it is possible. <laughs> so That's true. Sometimes miracles can't happen, Kurt. That's true. And now I've, now I've got to get revenge. Luis has drawn first blood, but I'm back with a vengeance. I brought my A game. Luis, are you ready? I believe I am, Kurt. Um, I believe I am. All right. But before we get into the two stories, do you have a little fast fact for me? I do, Kurt. I think I have a fact that, that can help you or can help me really determine fact from fiction. Um, my question for you, Kurt. So the term Aztec, when referring to the people that the Spanish met when they arrived, is the term Aztec correct? Is that a correct ethnic description? Uh-oh. I think I'm worried I'm going to get canceled for my answer here. <laughs> you mean, okay, so does, does Aztec refer to correctly refer to the civilization of people yes to the civilization that was here right as the spanish were arriving the people that the spanish fought against in 1519 to 21 oh man this this is like so the way you're phrasing it sounds like i i should say no but i can't think of any good reason to so i'm going to say i think yes that's true well, Kurt, I'm afraid you're going to get canceled this episode. Oh, I've been wrong. set up. I've been set up. Been, you have been set up. You took it's the a double witch bluff. <laughs> That's true. So what well, the truth is, is that the people that lived in this area, or what we now consider to be the Aztec Empire, was a name given in, like, the 60s. Uh, the empire that we know was here when the Spanish arrived was the... Some know it as the Triple Alliance between the Mexica, the the Tacuban, and a different one, which I'm afraid. Now I you're getting canceled. For I know, I know. I'm sorry. Stop I'm the sorry podcast. For... <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can call it the Triple Alliance or the Mexica Empire because the people that were here were the Mexica. They were the ones that were in Mexico, in what now is Mexico City. That's where the name Mexico comes from. Mexico just means the place where the Mexica live. There's, Mexica, it's spelled like Mexico with an oh A. Oh, man. Now that I'm end. hearing it, there's no way you haven't told me that detail before when we lived together. Kurt, we lived together for two years, and I'm, I'm afraid that uh, we had a Mexican flag hanging in our apartment when we were living together, and uh, you, you are still yet to know this information. I don't know if I can let you come to my house down here in Veracruz, Mexico. If, I'm, I'm, uh, where's the Mexican flag now, Luis, if I may ask? It's in all our hearts, Kurt. It's uh, actually on the wall right next to me. Oh, sure. Hey, you right. better check yourself, buddy. I'm the true patriot around these parts. That's true. Uh, Kurt Quetzalcoatl Danner. That's what sweet grandmama used to call me. That's right. Every day before we went to bed. Anyway, without further tangents, <laughs> let's get into it. I have two stories for you. Uh, here's the first own. one. This is the story of the Mary Celeste, okay? Okay. So, 1872, the Mary Celeste is an American merchant ship. Okay. It's the Mary cargo. Celeste sailed the ocean blue. That's right, 1872. <laughs> uh, 
the <laughs> captain of the ship, his name is Captain Benjamin Briggs. And in okay. 1872, he's preparing the ship for a voyage from New York to Italy. Uh, the ship's got a variety of cargo on it, but the majority of it is 1,700 barrels of denatured alcohol. Uh, denatured alcohol right. is alcohol with additives in it to make it poisonous to consume. So that way it avoids the taxes ah. that normal alcohol would have. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> getting nervous already, oh, oh. Luis? <laughs> I am. I am. That one hurt me. Oh, let me add this little detail. <laughs> also on board with the barrels are a crew of eight sailors, Captain Briggs, of course, and his wife and baby. Okay. Are you okay. sweating yet? Not th- Profusely? Moist. Damn. <laughs> Okay, so they leave on November 7th. On December 4th, the Mary Celeste is discovered by a ship called the De Gracia near some islands. It's in the neighborhood of the Strait of Gibraltar, but it's kind of in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Here's the thing. No one is on board the ship. The ship is sailing itself. Okay. Let me give you a rundown of the, the finer details of the state of the ship. Okay, no one is on board. But the ship is appears to be mostly undamaged. The the sails are still up. Some of the weirder things, the, the doors to the cargo hatch have been removed, which is a big deal because normally they would be sealed and then only unsealed when they arrived so that it's watertight, so no water can get in the cargo hold. Right, so the right. doors are completely off. Uh, the ship's lifeboat, one of the lifeboats is missing. Some maps and navigational equipment are missing. However, the sails are still up, as I said. Uh, okay. There's There's... Not any damage to the ship, really. Uh, nothing's missing other than the maps and navigational equipment. There's even still some food and survival supplies on board. The captain's log is found on board. Uh, there's nothing irregular in it, but the last entry is dated nine days prior, and the last location is 400 miles away from where the ship is found. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to, to pause you right yeah, there. Yeah, jump in. But- you you said the captain's log was there and there was nothing irregular. The first thing I thought of was stool. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> it's just it was there, not irregular. Good 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 situation going and on. And dated from nine days prior. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anyway, sorry sorry. Continue. Okay. So so the captain's log was found. It was dated from how many miles away and how nine, many days ago? Nine days prior, four hundred miles okay. away. So. Pretty, pretty far away, long time ago. Right. There's a rope trailing behind the ship. Uh, okay. There's about three feet of water on the deck. Later, this is deemed to be a reasonable amount of water given how long the ship has been deserted. It seems like three feet would probably just reasonable. Accumulate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which, by the way, what, what are they what are they comparing that to? They're like, of all the ships we've ever found completely abandoned, as most of them have about three <laughs> feet of water. Um, <laughs> moving on. Of the 1,700 barrels, nine of them are empty. Okay. Oh, oh, interesting. So this is this is all the all the major info there is about you know that you, that that they need to use to figure out what could have possibly. But happened. you know, overall, Kurt, still net law, net win. That's a net win for for the Mary Celeste. <laughs> Not a lot of cargo. <laughs> the ship lost. itself is doing pretty great. Yeah, and yeah only, the ship only itself's nine. great. Only nine are lost. But I think, the, I think that's the, great. The barrels are still there. They're just empty. Right. Okay. Oh, so it's just dead weight at this point. So I mean, I mean the the nine barrels that are empty. Uh, so the other seventeen hundred minus nine, however many, are still full. It's just there's nine barrels there that are still there on board, but they're empty barrels now. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. So immediately there's just tons and tons of theories swirling about what could have happened. 
Uh, I've separated them into categories. And if you oh, will no. with me, Luis, put on your detective <laughs> hat and tell me, tell me how you feel about some of these theories. I'm going to run through them. You, you jump okay. in if you hear one that you think is plausible, okay? So the first major theory is that the crew, after drinking the nine barrels of denatured alcohol or after inhaling the fumes, went insane or they God. were drunk or something and killed the captain <laughs> and his family and then escaped in the lifeboat. This at first is kind of a prevailing theory because there's some, some damage Naturally. to the hull that looks like weather damage. But the first organization that expects, inspects it thinks that it could be cuts from either the captain's sword or an ax that's on board. And so oh. maybe, maybe after the, the crew killed the captain and his wife and baby, they, they cut up the hull and the deck a little bit to make it look like weather damage and then fled. Right. There's also some stains they find that they think are blood. And of course, everyone's speculating it's a captain's blood. However, upon further examination, it's deemed that the damage is certainly only weather damage and the, the stains are definitely not blood. So that gets thrown out. Uh, there's Guys, also, no, please. It was just a hurricane. Yeah, it's, it's just regular, regular storm. Um, the, the second theory is that the, the captain, in a state of religious-induced mania, killed everyone and then threw himself overboard. We've all been there. We're only two theories deep, and we're like grasping at straws here already. Yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. <laughs> this man, this man felt the third great awakening and just went crazy. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a theory that it was pirates. Uh, pirates killed okay, everyone on board, but nothing valuable is missing. In fact, the most valuable items on the ship are some of the the captain's family possessions, and they're still untouched in the captain's cabin, so they haven't even been tampered with. Interesting. Okay. Uh, after that, there's a lot of theories of fraud because there's a lot of insurance payouts involved in this. And since the ship is fully functioning and intact and the cargo is intact, any insurance payout would actually be profit because nothing was really lost. Um, of course. It's always up to insurance, isn't it, Kurt? Yeah. All of them have two versions. There's, there's one version where it's, it's the people uh, correlated with the Mary Celeste involved, and there's another version where it's a joint effort between the people correlated with the Mary Celeste and the De Gracia, the boat that found them. Oh, so, oh, so that's interesting. First, first, there's a theory that it's insurance fraud by either one or both of the cargo companies. Um, oh, that's interesting. Then there's a, a theory that it's a life insurance fraud by either Captain Briggs or both of the captains of boats. Okay. And then thirdly, there's a theory that it's salvage fraud because when a, when a boat is lost or crashed, whatever boat or group of people salvages it when they bring it into the the nearest harbor they get uh, a payment as a reward basically for bringing it in so the theory is that both the captains were in it together the de gracia sailed out and met them they got off the boat and left went somewhere and then the de gracia brings it in gets the reward money and then they all split it. oh wow i didn't cons- i didn't even consider the the third party boat to be involved at all i know well the but here's the thing is that that almost all of these theories mean that captain briggs and his wife and baby have to disappear and he has other children (laughs) out there in the world so he either has to abandon his children for these theories (laughs) to be true or no one no one i believe claims his life insurance policy the the salvage fraud reward turns out to be not very much yeah yeah. um all of these theories are kind of gradually dismissed there's a weather related theory that this is a combination of things okay 
first there had to have been a water spout, which is basically a tornado over water. It picks mm -hmm. up a bunch of water and then drops it back down. So first there had to have been a water spout that dropped a bunch of water onto the deck. Okay. Then the low barometric pressure created by the water spout would have driven the water that was in the bilges of the ship up through the pump. So there would have been water on the deck and water coming up from the bottom of the ship. Right. At this point, the crew would have gotten a piece of equipment called a sounding rod, which uh, measures how much water is down inside the ship so you can tell if it's taking on water. Okay. If the sounding rod gave a faulty reading, they would think the ship was flooding and quickly evacuate oh only for the God. water to have drained after they left. Wow. Okay. Oh, wow. That's a theory, but it does require a lot of really specific things to happen and very for technical everyone things, on board to yeah. just instantly abandon ship. Yeah, right, right, right. My first option, of course. So now we're down to the, the supernatural theories. Ooh, into it. It's possible they were attacked by a giant squid that pulled everyone off the boat without damaging it somehow. Oh, of course, the Kraken, the Kraken theory always stands, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's true>. <laughs> <laughs> Your Honor, it was the Kraken. Your Honor, Your Honor, it was a giant squid. I'm sorry. They're like, uh, Mr. Danner, please just pay the parking tickets. You don't understand. <laughs> the Dangracha was in on it. I was just there, and the sounding rod told me that my parking ticket was still valid. <laughs> <laughs> Some people theorize that maybe the crew was spontaneously raptured. Oh, yeah. Just them. Just them. <laughs> no one else. Yes. Yeah. And by, by the way, it's pretty neato that one theory is the captain killed everyone because of religion. And the other is everyone went to heaven. <laughs> yeah, right. People on all sides of, of religious opinions are weighing in on what happened. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that theory because literally just them got raptured. You know, just whatever deity decided to rapture is just that ship. It's a fun theory, too, because if, if you're trying to figure out what happened and somebody said that to you, what are you going to do to disprove them? <laughs> Say, you know, okay. just, Your hands are tied. They won. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, there's also a theory that maybe they were all lured off the boat by sirens, which I really like because that has to include the baby. The baby was also lured off the boat by maybe, sirens. Maybe, maybe, Kurt, it wasn't sirens, but rather it was one fish hunter with a phonograph. <laughs> Playing Prince. It all <laughs> playing, makes sense. Yeah, maybe they were playing uh, 1999 by Prince on a phonograph not too far away from there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so at this point, let me ask you, Luis, do, do any of these theories stick out to you? Any of them yeah. seem plausible? L listen, I, I am, I'm a big fan of the, first of all, rapture theory, great. That, like, I, immediately That's I gravitate banger. to it. That's yeah, a that is a banger. For sure. But I will say that the insurance policy with the third-party ship, the mm -hmm. what, Magracci, whatever, what do you say? Degraccia. Yeah, the, De the Degrassi. I, by ship. the way, I might be mispronouncing that. I'm doing my best. Yeah, so be it. We mispronounce things all the time. Words are made up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I really like that, that the fact that there was a ship that found it and had the decency mm -hmm. to say, oh, shit, it's empty, right? I really like that probably they were in on it and there were some sort of agreement and said okay let's split the money afterwards and that's what of I, course that's, the, the the problem with that with that theory is where did where did the the captain and crew go because they're in the middle of the atlantic ocean true. there wasn't that's when true. when they even though you know they were discovered near some islands it wasn't like lifeboat paddling distance and they weren't they weren't on the de Gracia when when the ship was brought in because it was immediately scrutinized i was going to ask was there any sort of were any lifeboats missing when they found the ship or, or anything? Yeah, like well, the one, there was one lifeboat missing that I, I said that. Right. So 
Yeah, sorry, I, I missed it. But yeah, I, I um I'm thinking that of course they must have they must have hatched a plan. Like like they couldn't have just disappeared unless everyone went crazy, which I'm I love the theory of just drinking yourself crazy into mutiny. Right. I, <laughs> I, I love I love just saying I'm going to drink until I kill my captain. That's a great theory. I love it. It's classic. We'll yeah. always stand by that. That's my first choice. But I think I think there were monetary gains to be had in this situation. Well, let me let me give you what is what is accepted as as the most likely theory. Okay. 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 Ready? And this and this is like all the pieces come together. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay so first, remember the nine empty barrels. Yes. Right. Because none of them, except that the crew drank them, explain the nine empty barrels. Right. Or the or the unsealed doors. Um. So the nine empty barrels were all made of red oak. All the other barrels were made of white oak. White oak is watertight. Red oak is porous. So the theory okay. is that the nine barrels of red oak allowed the alcohol to seep through the barrels and soak the cargo hold, which would have basically turned it into a bomb because the whole thing soaked in alcohol. There's still over a thousand barrels of alcohol there. You Whoa. strike a match, the whole ship's going to go up. Right. So perhaps the captain or crew unsealed and removed the hatch doors to try to ventilate the cargo hold but this didn't work okay so perhaps their next plan would have been to take the lifeboat out and tie it behind the ship <sighs> that way they could still go back to get food and supplies they brought some navigational equipment with them uh-huh. uh, and then they could in theory wait until the room was ventilated or at least it would be safe if there was an explosion but something must have happened when they were on the lifeboat that the rope was cut and right. so their boat sailed away from them. Okay. And that's the accepted theory. That's the accepted theory. None of these are ever proven, but that is that is what history kind of deems oh, as okay. the most so, likely so that's, thing. Oh, okay. So that's where the story ends at this point, right? So after this, the Marie Celeste continues as a cargo ship. Uh, ironically, in 1885, its, its captain, its new captain, deliberately wrecks it uh, as part of an attempted insurance fraud. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, the... the <laughs> Mystery of the Mary Celeste was so popular at the time that Arthur Conan Doyle, who, for anyone who doesn't know, is the oh, author yeah. of Sherlock Holmes, wrote a short story about it, inspired by it. He changed the name of the boat from the Mary Celeste to the Marie Celeste, and then his short story became so popular that people commonly mistakenly call it the Marie Celeste, or they, they more frequently will refer to the Marie Celeste. Interesting. I thought you were going to say that Arthur Conan Doyle saw the story of the Marie Celeste and thought, that's a boring name. I'm going to name it Octopussy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is interesting, though, because the what, what becomes the most widely accepted theory, it's totally like a Sherlock Holmes story, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah. not Octopussy. That's, that's not Arthur Conan Doyle. I, I tried to move past that, Luis, because I, I knew you didn't understand the reference. I messed and up, And now Kurt. you've gone back to it. I did what I could to help you. I messed you. up, Kurt. I'm sorry. For, for our Stop listeners. the podcast again for the second Stop time. Stop the podcast. Uh, oh, wow. That's so interesting, Kurt. I really love that. And, and I'm, I'm assuming it was as big of a mystery as, like, the Titanic was at the time, right? Or, or just other big events, right? I think so because of, of the money and the worry about insurance fraud. People were pretty concerned with what happened. And then it was kind of the longer what happened was they had a salvage fraud hearing or salvage hearing yeah. originally to try to figure out what had happened. And and a lot of the people running it were really convinced it was murder. And then that kind of got ruled out. So then it's like they've wasted a month thinking it's murder. And now we have no idea what it is. The longer it goes on without anyone solving it, the, the more public interest it kind of generated. 
So they never showed up. Like the 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 rest of the crew never appeared. No, no, no. They they all have were never seen again. Wow. I mean, if if there was any situation where they got in a lifeboat uh, at that place, they would have just died at sea. Right. Oh, that is wild, Kurt. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. So, are you ready for the second story, Luis? I, I think I am. I'm still reeling on from this first one, but uh, let's hear it. While you well, while you're processing, let me set the scene. This is the story of the creation of Bordeaux gin. Okay. Okay. So, we're we're taking place here during Prohibition. As everyone probably knows, Prohibition is a time period in the United States when alcohol was not permitted for consumption or distribution. And it lasted between the years 1920 and 1933. Okay. Okay. So right in the beginning of Prohibition, uh, a lot of moonshiners in Appalachia began transporting a lot of product throughout the South. Appalachia is uh, uh, the region of the United States covered by the Appalachian Mountains. It's kind of like uh, both both Virginias, both Carolinas, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why they were the first ones to start transporting alcohol is because Appalachia is kind of a perfect location for bootlegging. Okay. There's, it's pretty sparsely populated, so there's not a lot of people. There's very few roads in some of the mountainous regions, so there's not so many cops that you have to buy off or people that you have to worry about seeing what's going on. There's tons of corn, which, of course, you need to make moonshine. Love it. Um, and additionally, a lot of people making moonshine in Appalachia had already been doing so since before the start of the civil war. So they were already doing it. It's just when prohibition started, they realized we should ramp up production. We could make, (laughs) they're like, Oh, we can make, we, we can make some money off of this. Yeah. They were ahead of their time, but history caught up to them. (laughs) Yeah. So one particular moonshiner, uh, in Tennessee, his name is Robert Glenn Johnson, Jr. Banger of a name. Yeah. That's good. People call him, people call him junior Johnson for short. Kurt, I know, I know you're not from Appalachia, but you are from uh, the southern states. Mm-hmm. Could you please pronounce that name in, in your good sultry tones, please? You mean the good old boy Robert Glenn Johnson Jr.? Oh yeah, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> I when I when I saw the name Robert Glenn Johnson Jr., I felt like like something rumbling deep inside. Yeah, you have I felt a like I knew uncle. him already. Yeah, it's like you yeah. have an uncle already somewhere in your family named that. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably related to someone named Robert Glenn Johnson Jr. Yeah. Uh, so he was born in 1897. His father, Robert Glenn Johnson Sr., was a lifelong bootlegger. Uh, they'd been making moonshine since before the Civil War. When Junior was growing up, there were a lot of raids from revenue agents, and his father ultimately spent a total of 20 years in prison for bootlegging. Okay. So Junior Johnson, basically born into the business, raised in the business. It's kind of his natural progression. Um, okay, put a pin in Junior Johnson for a second. <laughs> we're going to come back to him. We go all the way up to Toronto, Canada. Good place. Where at the start of Prohibition... Two Canadian brothers named the Lavoie brothers uh, started smuggling gin from their distillery in Toronto across Lake Ontario into New York. Okay. Okay. 1920, beginning of Prohibition, Junior's supplying the south of Moonshine. The Lavoie brothers are transporting about 100 bottles of gin to New York every week. Okay. Mm -hmm. Year later, 1921, Junior's Moonshine distribution is growing pretty rapidly. Uh, in addition to s- supplying the South, he starts supplying some of the East Coast with the ultimate goal of getting into the market of New York because 
that's where there's a lot of demand for liquor at this time period. Separately, the Lavois brothers are transporting their own gin as well as uh, some liquor from a few other distillers in Toronto. And they're doing that full time now. In addition to their regular once a week transportation, once a month they'll take two crates of gin to Richmond, Virginia to be given to someone to be supplied throughout the Southeast. In October of that year, Junior's cousin Donald is in charge of transporting all their moonshine to Virginia. So he'll take it to Virginia and give it to someone who will then take it throughout New England. Sales are already kind of decreasing because uh, at the beginning of Prohibition, pretty rapidly comes the rise of mob families in New York selling alcohol mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. also rum runners from the Bahamas. So there's some competition that's cutting into their profits. During a trip on October 16th, he notices several buyers purchase less moonshine because they're also buying shipments of gin from the Lavois brothers. So it's at the point in time where the Lavois brothers, their business has made its way down. Robert uh, Glenn Johnson's business has made its way up and now they're in conflict. They're, they're running into each other's territory. By coincidence, when Donald Johnson goes to the house of a man named Thomas McAllister to drop off his shipment of moonshine, the Lavois brothers are there at the same time dropping off gin and an argument starts between them. It's not clear about what, but when the Lavois brothers go to leave, Donald fires his rifle at their truck. Okay. So in order to try to resolve the conflict, Robert Glenn Johnson arranges to meet with the Lavois brothers. They meet in Richmond on November 12th. The Lavois brothers offer to divide up territory, which means that they'll only personally distribute in New York and Pennsylvania, but also any gin that they give to someone else that could be distributed elsewhere. So it's kind of like they'll only personally travel yeah, to New York or yeah. Pennsylvania. It doesn't change a whole lot. Junior Johnson doesn't want to concede territory because, uh, as I said before, he's already losing a lot of territory to the mobs and to, to rum runners, other smugglers. Right. So right. He, he rejects their offer to divide up territory. Instead, he offers to them that they can continue selling as they are, do whatever they want, as long as they pay a tax to him. Okay. The Lavois brothers think about this, but they are of the opinion that gin is going to overtake moonshine in popularity. So they reject his offer. Everyone goes home. Nothing's been worked out. When the Lavar brothers get home to Toronto, they decide to repurpose one of their stills to make moonshine, and they make 80 jars of moonshine. <laughs> so the research that I did on this, it's from Robert Glenn Johnson's autobiography entitled The Last American Hero <laughs> and Historical Accounts. Of I know. What a great title. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Very, very unbiased source. Yeah. It, you know, it gets, it gets a little worse because... Uh, on his father's side, he's got the, the bootlegging ancestry. On his mother's side, his uh, it's either his great-grandfather or his great-great-grandfather was like the third highest ranking Confederate general. Oh. So I think he kind of sees himself as like the last quote-unquote true American. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. So, <laughs> so oh the last American hero might have even darker meaning. Yeah, this, this took a bit of a turn that I was not expecting, Kurt. I'm, yeah. I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. So there's no real firsthand account of, of the Lavois brothers. Right. So it's not known whether they did this intentionally to try to get a junior. Maybe they just thought they wanted to try making moonshine. Maybe they thought it would be funny. Either way, they, they got <laughs> 80 a, jars of moonshine. Just a prank. I, I looked high, low, far and wide to try to find out the quality of this moonshine. And because if, if listeners do not know, Kurt is a connoisseur of moonshine. Oh, uh, yeah, both both conceptually and as a beverage, I like moonshine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. The best I could find was just that it's 
fine. It's neither really good nor really bad, which yeah. is actually pretty impressive. The first time someone's making moonshine, that's true. They that's true. Give drinkable, drinkable is a great yeah. is a great milestone. Yeah, that's so so good for them. Junior finds out about this uh, and is very angry because he considers himself to be kind of the moonshine guy, or at least the culture that he's part of, Appalachian culture. He's from a long lineage. He, he takes it as a personal insult. In response, he decides he's going to make some gin. Nice. nice. <laughs> so there's one problem with this. Uh, you need juniper berries to make gin. Mm-hmm. There are no juniper berries in Appalachia. Oh, damn. <laughs> but Jun- Junior Johnson, if you can't tell yet, very resourceful mm-hmm. man. What he does have is a lot of Atlantic cedar trees, which are pretty closely related to juniper trees. Oh, no. So he takes some high-proof moonshine and some pine cones from cedar trees and infuses pine cone flavor into moonshine. And he names he names it Bordeaux Gin. Uh-huh. This is either really lucky or really clever. He probably named it Bordeaux Gin because there's a town near him in Tennessee named Bordeaux. But when people hear Bordeaux Gin, they think it's imported from France. Oh! So he's got, you know, high-proof liquor with pine cones in it that people are paying extra for because they think it's imported gin. (laughs) Because they think the high society is drinking it at this time? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, The combination of, of people thinking this is some fancy French thing and the rising popularity of gin results in him playing a pretty important role in the rise of gin in the South. In fact, for the next two years, one third of his profits come from selling Bordeaux gin. Naturally. So he probably started as kind of a joke or, or maybe just because he wanted to, but it ends up being pretty important to his business. He, he has such a role in popularizing gin in the South that it's very possible that Bordeaux gin led to the creation of the French 75 in New Orleans, which is very uh, famous New Orleans cocktail. It's disputed, but here's, here's one story. Um, the French 75, by the way, is, is a cocktail of gin, champagne, lemon juice, and sugar. So one story is that there was a bar in New Orleans called the 75 because uh, it had opened in the year 1875. And it received regular shipments of Bordeaux gin and made it into their signature cocktail, the French 75. Nice. There's another story that uh, says the French 75 was invented in France and named because the mixture kicked like a French 75 millimeter field gun. <laughs> uh, so it was created by post-World War I soldiers. Nice. Um, it's not really clear which, which one's true, but I like the Bordeaux gin story a little yeah, better, yeah, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's good. So a- after this, in 1924, the Lavoie brothers uh, began distributing through the Gambino crime family in New York. Uh, again, there's not a lot of information about the specifics of this, but they were probably forced. It was probably a make them an offer. They can't refuse type situation. Naturally. So that's all I have about the Lavoie brothers. Now I'm going to tell you just some, some bullet points about the rest of Robert Glenn Johnson Jr.'s life. And... I hope you're sitting down, Louise. I mean, sh- strap in, okay? I'm strapped. <laughs> <laughs> in 1952, Junior became one of the first NASCAR drivers at age 55. Oh, and no. And won the first Daytona 500 race two years later. Oh, no way. <laughs> and he won even though his car was, was going uh, about 20 miles. Its top speed was 20 miles per hour slower than 12 other cars. He won because he invented the drafting technique. Wow. And used it in the Daytona 500. Oh, I can't believe it. This is this is beyond uh, me. I, I'm sure I've made you watch Talladega Nights with me at some point. Oh, Kurt. But they, they talk about in that, that that 
uh, NASCAR was partially created by bootleggers trying to get their cars to go faster. To of course, of course. That's, yeah. that's, that's obviously, duh. <laughs> so th- this is not the end of it. The same year that he wins the Daytona 500, uh, he gets arrested for bootlegging and serves a year in prison. After his release, he produced his own line of fried pork skins and country <laughs> ham. And he was okay. also later hired by Piedmont Distillers to produce a line of moonshine called Midnight Moonshine. Okay. In 1986, he received a pardon from Ronald Reagan for his bootlegging conviction. No. And in 1988, at the age of 91, he was posthumously inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. What? No. Real character, Junior no Johnson. No way. Oh. Yeah, Junior Johnson. That man really knew knew how to attack a market when he saw one, really. Truly. Yeah. He's he's moonshine mogul. Yeah, really. So what do you what do you think about that, Luis? Any questions? I I don't I I'm floored to be honest with you, Kurt. Like legitimately I, I, I don't know what to think about this because there's so much just to 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 talk about because yeah yeah it's a lot there. there's a lot of history here because i did not expect nascar to just come inside here um yeah in, into the into the conversation but alas it it did um i you you think you've gotten the the big reveal you think like okay this this is the plot twist and yeah. now i'm digesting it and then boom nascar boom ronald reagan <laughs> yeah yeah when you when you mentioned <laughs> ronald reagan at the end i'm like I I don't know. I don't know, Kurt. Oh man, this is this is great. I, I mean, just all the details that go into the Bordeaux gin and everything. That's that's incredible. I so want this story to be true. I want both of your stories to be true, Kurt. What the hell? We always end up in this position. Yeah, we've like created our own prison. <laughs> this, yeah. I mean, the podcast was our idea, and we hate doing this part of it. Yeah. Why why, why is this the hardest part? Why is this the hardest thing I've ever done? <laughs> Maybe we should start a new pad podcast called Believable, where we just we tell two stories that both seem like they're pretty likely, and then we just leave it at that. No one knows what's real. Yeah, no, this is incredible, Kurt. I love this. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have any further questions. I think you answered most of what of the questions that I had, Kurt. You're just kind of kind of marinating in disbelief over there. Yeah, Kurt. I don't know what to tell you. This is this is a very very difficult story to 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 really mend over. Oh, man. Yeah. No. You you answered most of the questions. I was going to ask at the beginning of this if this connected to NASCAR, and yet it did. It always does. <laughs> when doesn't it? Right. All roads lead to NASCAR. All roads lead to NASCAR. Oh, does this mean it's time for deliberation, Kurt? Yeah, it's time for it's time for deliberation. This is time for deliberation. Deliberation. Kurt, could you please remind me what the two stories were? Yeah, sorry. I'm I'm also starstruck by uh, Robert Glenn Johnson, Pork Rinds, and NASCAR. So the first story was the story of the Mary Celeste, a yeah. ship that was found without a crew, undamaged, and the wild theories that ensued trying to figure out what had happened. The second story was the story of the feud between Robert Glenn Johnson Jr. and the Lavoie brothers that led to the creation of Bordeaux Gin and possibly the creation of the French 75. Okay. By the way, imagine being Robert Glenn Johnson. Your resume is like bootlegger, producer of pork rinds and country ham, NASCAR racer. That CV is amateur stunt man. (laughs) (laughs) Weekend, weekend warrior, if you will. Yeah. Um, Yeah. See, the difficult part about this, Kurt. First of all, we're we're 
these are both po so possible. I was so invested in both of them. But I I don't know, Kurt. Last time I, I told you that I didn't believe your story because there was too much citation, right? And the too much citation got you pinned. This I got to tell time, you, that, that comment, you've been in my head. You're living rent freaks. And I'm like, should I cite? Should I not yeah. cite? Well, well, you did a great job, Kurt, because I don't, I have no idea. I, I don't think you cited really many sources here, <laughs> which I think you did that on purpose, honestly. Oh, this is so difficult. You know, you know, okay. Okay. I, I have to make a decision, which, which I, I, I really don't want to make because I love all good both things must come stories. to an end. I really do love these, these stories so much. Um, as much, as much as I, I want the Bordeaux gin story and the French 75 story to be true. I think there's, I think there's a, there's a, there's a part of the story that's just quote too good to be true. Right. Like there's like there's no way there's no way Junior Johnson did every, all of this and then get pardoned by by Ronald Reagan. This is a difficult choice because I can see it being pardoned by Ronald Reagan, but I, I, it's hard to say. Kurt, please just I, I'm freaking out and you're just giving me a, an empty stare. <laughs> Put me out of my misery, Kurt, please. What was the you real to, one? You want me to rip, rip the bandaid off? Please do. I'm saying that the Mary Celeste story is true and the other one is fake. Okay. Okay. All right. I can, I can work with this. I'm ready. You are correct. The Mary oh. Celeste story is true. Wait, hold your applause. Okay. <laughs> I'll go through it in a second, detail by detail, but almost all of the information about Robert Glenn Johnson Jr.'s personal life is also true. Okay. There's, right. There are no Lavois brothers. There's no, there's no Bordeaux gin. <laughs> uh, but the rest of it about he was a bootlegger. He did race NASCAR. I moved. I had to move his his whole life back in time a little bit to fit yeah, the time yeah, yeah. period. But he was a bootlegger during prohibition. He was a NASCAR driver. He won the Daytona 500. He invented drafting. Uh, he's in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. He was okay. arrested. Did a year in prison. He was pardoned by Ronald Reagan. The pork rinds is true. The country <laughs> ham is true. And the midnight moonshine is true. <laughs> And also so his much. great something great grandfather was the third most highest ranking Confederate general. Wow. Oh man. But I can't believe you invented the Lavois brothers. Kurt, that like, I know. I you know You feel see, like you know them, don't you? They're so real. I do. You see, and see part of me part of the reason that I was not terribly trusting of you, Kurt, is because I know your heritage. Yeah, yeah, sure. You may be from backwater uh, Missouri. <laughs> right. Not backwater. Oh, so gracious of you to say, Luis. Yeah. Listen, I've been there. I love it. I love it there. You know I'm a fan. But you are from small town Missouri. However, I know you have connections somewhere in Louisiana. So I know you know, have a way around with your French. So whenever you said Lavois Brothers, I'm like, I wish so wish this was true. But like Kurt, would, <laughs> Kurt could make this up. <laughs> right? It's like it's like few people can make this up and you are one of them. <laughs> You know, I got this is twice now you've complimented my name choice. And I got to tell you, it's not like no. there's some crazy, crazy system for this. I just for this one, I just looked up uh, most common Canadian last names in the 1920s and then picked the one that felt right. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Wait. So what this means is that the Mary Celeste thing was true. All <gasps> true. All true. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that makes me so excited, Kurt. I don't think you understand just how 
I'm, I'm no, I because when bit. I when I read it when I read it for the first time I was like this can't be real and I've never heard of this this is insane yeah there's, there's also no by way. the way by the way little little footnote there was um another boat uh in Southeast Asia that the same thing happened they just found the boat abandoned all eight passengers gone no explanation so it's happened at least twice wow wow oh that's incredible. I don't know. I, I'm at a loss of words of both stories, Kurt. This was incredible. You 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 <laughs> had me going for both so hard, but uh, not but not entertaining, but not enough smoke and mirrors, evidently, because then no, now no, no. the score is it brings it to three to one. It is in the lead. Uh, that is true. The tally is three to one to me in the lead. However, I think the smoke and mirrors were ramped up enough, Kurt, because as much as I guessed the correct one, I will tell you, fifty-seven percent of my guess was fully me guessing <laughs> fully, me, <laughs> fully me throwing a, a word on the room um, on the wind however you're right that does bring us up to three to one with me in the lead kurt i'm i'm sorry but how does that feel <laughs> that's what you know what we've got the feedback adequate smoke and mirrors okay yeah we'll come next time with the same amount but different smoke different oh, mirrors jeez and kurt. i i feel i feel confident that that, that it's coming. Oh, I'm so nervous, Kurt, because the smoke and mirrors here were... Uh, the, the smoke and mirrors index was dangerously high this time. Um, we're critical mass smoke and mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had to go to the ends of the earth, Luis. I found a missing ship in the Atlantic and a man named Robert Glenn Johnson Jr., yeah. son of Confederates and bootleggers. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not... Not not an overnight job. That's okay. true. That doesn't happen often. Doesn't happen often. And I think it really it's this podcast the only place where that can happen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, either oh. way, either way, it's it's been a lot of fun. I'm glad you enjoyed the stories as much as I did. Very much so. Very much so. I hope everyone listening also enjoyed the stories as much. But thank you everyone for listening. If you want more of our podcast, you can check us out on Instagram at Unbelievable Pod. Uh, you can also listen to our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Thank you, everyone, and see you next time. Thank Bye, you. Luis. Bye.